Good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. All bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Brian-eyed. Yeah, there you go. That'll work. <laughs> Amen. Okay. First Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. All right, before we get into it, let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the snow that you sent our way. Father, we haven't had much snow this year, and that's okay. But we thank you for it. And Father, we pray that you'd, uh, Lord, bless your word as it goes out. and uh, Teaching the word of God, and Father, anywhere this morning where the word of God is lifted up and taught and magnified, pray that you bless it. And Father, I pray that you'd uh, be with the preachers that we know in this area who are doing the best they can. Father, I pray that you'd help them bless their flock and their congregation, Lord, as they try to serve and please you. <clears throat> Father, thank you again for just being so good to us. Do what you want this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we left off on 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, and uh, we sang that song. That's a good song. I like a good song with a good melody, especially when it's connected to a Bible verse. <laughs> Amen. And that's verse 5. The Bible says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And uh, we gave you lots of interesting stuff on Wednesday night. And uh, the Calvinists, they hate that verse. And the Catholics hate that verse. And I'll tell you what, anyone who's against this book is going to hate that verse. And uh, the thing that we left off is the Catholics don't believe in, the, in a mediator. They believe in a matriarchist or a mediatrix, however you want to say that thing. And the thing of it is, is I wasn't brought up in the Catholic religion, but I know how to read. And a matriarchist is a woman. And that Bible says you've got a mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. And the Bible says there's a man standing between you and God. And the Catholics say, well, maybe sort of, kind of, but don't forget about Mary. Mary, you know, Joseph and blessed John the Baptist. And to which we say, phooey. <laughs> uh, the Bible says, the man Christ Jesus. And I read this Wednesday, I'll read it again. Here's an excerpt uh, from a uh, Catholic uh, book that should be in the trash. And it's called, Our Catholic Truths. March 30th, 1968. And like we said, it should be called Our Catholic Lies. And it's used uh, by Catholic priests to teach us dumb Protestants how to believe the faith. Amen? And this is what it says. Does not Scripture... I quote it with the quotation marks and all that. Does not Scripture say there's one mediator? Scripture speaks of the one mediator, which was Christ. The Catholic Church does not deny that all greatness comes to us through Christ and that he's the primary mediator, 1 Timothy 2.5. This does not exclude secondary mediators for business or politics. Scripture and verse? No scripture and verse. You know, you know what Rome just did? That's called private interpretation. Here, we're going to teach you about the Catholic faith, and we're going to speak ex cathedra as if God himself was speaking, and we're not going to give you a single shred of evidence. We're just going to make it up as we go. That's like Ham when he writes music. That's why he repeats himself. Since my baby left me, you know, 
found a new place to go, blah, blah. You know, that whole rhythm line is just repeat, repeat. You know why? Because the Hamite's trying to come up with something to sing. And he can't think of anything to sing, so he's got to give himself time. So the Catholic Church, they're just trying to think of things to say. Uh, They say this. Let me get back to business here. There's a famous saying, it isn't what you know, but whom you know. Doesn't that sound regal? It isn't what you know, but whom you know. Uh, we, <laughs> why do we pray to Mary, the mother of God and the saints? Because uh, you're retarded. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we pray to them. To, uh, we pray that we, <laughs> we pray to them to ask them to intercede with God for us. We do not ask them to grant anything of the, uh, themselves, for they have nothing of themselves to grant. Well, why waste your time? You realize in the New Testament, last time uh, Mary, the, uh, the mother of Jesus, shows up, she's at a prayer meeting, and no one's shaking her hand, and no one's venerating her, and no one's bowing down to her, and no one's worshiping her. You ever think about that? Why would you ask Mary to do anything? They say in these prayers to the mother of God and to the saints, we acknowledge our own unworthiness and appeal before God. And at the same time, we acknowledge our dependency on the mother of God and our dependency on the saints to get our prayers to God. And if you believe that, you're crazy. Uh, You can't be saved and believe that you have to go to Mary. You can't. There's one God and one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. And that's 1 Timothy 2.5. So the Catholic Church, they're liars. Uh, You say, well, that's a terrible thing to say. Okay, they're telling fibs. Does that make you feel better? They're not not telling you the truth according to the Bible. And I believe you know that. You understand that. And uh, it's just crazy stuff. Look at verse 6. He says, who gave himself a ransom for all? And notice it says all again. Not just a few. Not before Calvary, it's after Calvary. Then it says in uh, verse 6, to be testified in due time. All right, look at verse 7. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Now, Paul, of course, is placed here by divine office, by divine ordination. Uh, he says, I'm ordained. That'd be uh, John 15, 16. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. God cho- uh, nobody chose Paul to be an apostle but God. All right? Uh, John 15, 16 says, You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you, give it you. Now, in Paul's day, and even in our day, that includes, uh, that ordination includes laying out of hands. And you go pick that up in Acts 14.23. Acts 14.23. In our day, uh, just like Paul did, ordination is laying out of hands. And if you've ever been to an ordination, I've been to a a couple of them, uh, you see the men gather around and they lay their hands on a fellow once he's been approved to go into the gospel ministry. And uh, I've, heard, uh, I've heard the naysayer say, well, I don't need no man to lay his hands on me. I don't, oh, help yourself, be unbiblical, be unscriptural. But if you want the touch of God on you, you'll get behind a man. Uh, you'll, you'll let a, a, a preacher that's been after it a while and who's been approved and uh, proved himself out in the ministry, and you'll have him ordain you, and you'll be out of his church. You will. 
You will if you want God to do something with you. Amen. <clears throat> but Paul's ministry was primarily uh, to the Gentiles. Uh, he's a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. And like I said, uh, he's primarily the Gentiles, but as you know, he had some of his ministry to the Jews. And, uh, and so he manifests some Jewish signs, and he does have that ministry to the Jews. And you see that, of course, in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. And the reason he had that, so that they, uh, they would believe that the Gentiles got the Holy Ghost. You notice in that verse there, it says faith and verity. Faith and verity. So what Paul is doing at this time is he's teaching the gospel but as he goes, he's also teaching the Old Testament to Gentiles while he's writing the New Testament. Isn't that wild? You imagine, you and I, we have a completed Bible in our lap. And if we want to know something or find something, we turn to it. I mean, imagine Paul's writing the New Testament as he ministers and seeing Gentiles. You want to talk about faith. You had to believe the words of that preacher. <laughs> Man, that's, uh, that's something else, ain't it? So he's walking around, he's visiting and starting churches, and he's writing the New Testament. That's like three, four full-time jobs. But, you know, going to the ministry is a piece of cake, they say. <laughs> and when he's giving these people application, he's giving them some Old Testament stories, and he's giving them the gospel at the same time. Look at verse 7 again. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle... Uh, a teacher of the Gentiles. So Paul has what? He's got three offices. You see right in that verse, verse 7. First of all, he's a preacher. And uh, I think you know this, but every saint of God, every child of God who's, that, got, that got saved, you are called to preach the gospel. All right? Every one of you are. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. Now, I didn't say a woman is called to pastor a church. Amen. Or to preach to a congregation with men in it. Uh, Beth Moore, Paula White, and Joyce Meyer are unscriptural in their preaching and they're unscriptural in their position. Amen. That's the truth. I don't care how big their following is. I don't care how much money they make. It doesn't matter. If you knew what those clowns believed, you wouldn't even listen to them. <laughs> they believe that they get their messages spoken audibly from God. Sure you do, buddy. <laughs> But every man and every woman is called to propagate the gospel. You know, it's a preacher's job to announce 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 to 4, the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your job. That's my job. I'll just throw it back on you. I'm not trying to get on your back this morning, but have you done your job this last week? Did you tell anyone about Jesus Christ? That's your job. That's my job. It's not just the preacher's job. Well, you know, the preacher's job from the pulpit, my job is to feed the flock. My job is to feed you and to clothe you spiritually. The feeding part's easy. The clothing, well, that's a little bit more difficult. It is. But did you do your job this week? <clears throat> All right, so we're to announce it to this dying world. And when we don't do it, we're not fulfilling our calling to be a preacher. Everyone in here is a preacher. Well, I'm not good at speaking. Well, you don't have to. Just preach. Wear back your head and let her fly. You realize in Acts chapter 28, verse 28, that we were, uh, the Gentiles were given the gospel because the Bible says they will hear it. 
All right. Now, when it comes to being uh, an apostle like Paul was, you know, of course, there were 12 apostles, right? 12 apostles of the Lamb, Matthias fell, and of course, I'm sorry, Judas fell. I'm just teaching heresy here. And Matthias was put in Judas's place, right? And those are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And those apostles have their name on the foundation in the New Jerusalem. So those are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And of course, Paul is the 13th apostle. We've gone through this a number of times. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8, that Paul was one as born out of due time. And an apostle was called to demonstrate the powers and the signs that were given to Israel so that they would believe. It wasn't, they weren't given these powers so they could generate the charismatic movement that was generated in 1901 on Azusa Street in California by some woman. You see what I mean? Yes, I said it because that's the truth, right? But they were given those powers so that those Jews would believe. And they were given to Israel so they'd believe. So you notice through his writings uh, that he does that in the book of Acts. All through the book of Acts, Paul's doing signs, miracles, and wonders. And by the time you get to Acts chapter 28, those signs are done. Those signs are all gone. And uh, you, you have people you know, and they claim that, you know, they've got some great big <clears throat> revival going on in, in Asbury there. Help yourself. You want to drink all the Kool-Aid you want, believe all that jazz. They got women up there preaching. They got sodomites in the worship team, and they're all talking in tongues in the, uh, oh, the congregation there. You say, what a mighty outpouring of the Spirit. Is, don't you find it interesting after uh, the halftime show where you've got that one chick named Rihanna? She got up there with all her ghouls and did her sensual, demonic dance there. Don't you find it interesting that after that religious performance there, for the next six days, you had a great outpouring of spirits? Maybe, just something connected there. And you know who the center of attention was in that halftime show? It was a woman dressed in scarlet. (laughs) And a bunch of men, or whatever they were, it's, Worshipping and swaying her. Give power to the beast, you know. Anyways, uh, Paul in his office, he was a preacher. He was an apostle. And uh, he was also a teacher. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I know you all know most of this stuff, and it's probably review, but I'm sure a couple of you don't know all this stuff. But you you need to hear that stuff. You and I live in the great PC generation. And if you, don't, uh, if, you, if you insist on having a preacher who is always PC, which is politically correct, and you insist on someone always talking sweet to you and always talking nice to you, I'm not talking about a guy that just wants to be a jerk, but he's willing to go ahead and put his own reputation aside and tell you the truth so you can go ahead and get rooted and grounded in the faith. That's kind of what you need, isn't it? Ephesians chapter 4. Don't you hear enough smooth politicking during the week? Every time you turn on that television, they're trying to sell you something. Back when I was a kid, it was, uh, I can't remember the one, but it was $99 down and $99 a month. Well, you couldn't get a car for 99 Remember that? There's some colored fella down in Flint there, and $99 down. <laughs> you drive away with a piece of junk. <clears throat> but there's politics and someone trying to sell you something at every station. All right, now here's a teacher. A pastor is called to be a teacher in Ephesians 4. 
Look at verse 11. The Bible says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. You notice how that last one's connected together, right? So in this day and age, you know what the pastor is? He's a, he's a pastor and a teacher. Bible says in verse 12, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And this whole thing about being a teacher is a missed out qualification today. I'm going to sit down here just for a second. I mean, not really, but figuratively speaking. The reason I say that is because the denomination that you and I, and I don't have a problem being a Baptist. And if a feller don't want to be a Baptist, that's okay. It is. All right? <clears throat> being a Baptist won't make, uh, get you into heaven, amen? It's trust in Jesus Christ. By grace through faith plus nothing. But your denomination that you're a part of here, by the way, we're independent Baptists. Amen? We're not associated with, the, we're not the Southern Baptists, we're not the American Baptists, we're not the General Association of Retarded Baptists, uh, we're not the Northern Baptists, we're not none of that stuff. We're independent Baptists. Amen? Amen. All right? But these Baptists, they're perverts, and they'll always harp on the marriage thing, won't they? Y'all are rough this morning. But they harp on this marriage thing, and uh, if a guy gets a divorce, it's the end of the line. Uh, look at Titus, just for a second. Just you know, That awkward silence, man, just... It's almost like it's either the Holy Spirit of my flesh going dig, dig, dig. We'll blame the Holy Spirit. Amen. Titus. The Baptists are real bad at this thing, and they uh, they Baptists are like Catholics. They really are. And Baptists say this: if you've been divorced. And you can't be a preacher. You can't be a pastor. That's what, that's what most of them say. Um, I don't listen to them. Oh, it's in your Bible. It's in my Bible. Here it is. All right. Here it is, Titus chapter 1. Uh, look at verse 5, 6 rather. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife. And they run away with it. But there's a whole list there, isn't there? All right, one wife having faithful children. Okay. All right. Of course, we're talking about children living in the home. I know a fella, a gal uh, uh, north of here, probably about 50 miles, probably about 15 years ago. And uh, she, well, she didn't have a very good reputation, so they voted the preacher out. She didn't even live at the house. Why? Stupid. Well, that's like saying you've got an uncle that's a bank robber, so you can't be a church member. <laughs> All right. Having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly. Uh, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. How about this? Not self-willed. How many preachers get behind the pulpit and run the thing the way they want? And never get instruction from God, never let the Lord direct the thing. 
uh, the, you know, well, look, I'm a preacher and uh, I like music, so I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to have me about six meetings a year and I'm going to have about four big ones and two little ones and three musical festivals. What is that? That's self-willed. Uh, not soon angry. Okay, so it's all right if a preacher's four or five hundred pounds, uh, right? But the guy's got a temper. Not given to wine, uh, no striker, you know, he only gets in a fight twice a month, you know. Uh, not given to filthy lucre, a lover of hospitality. If you call your pastor, can you get a hold of him? If you need to talk to him, can, will he talk to you? Oh, he got divorced, can him. You say, you're just, you're just getting ready for when the day happens. No, I'm not. <laughs> but you, I'm, I'm just telling you, your, your Baptist crowd, they do that. They'll sacrifice, they'll kill a man when he gets divorced. And they'll throw him out. But you know, the, one of the jobs of a pastor is to be a teacher, according to Ephesians chapter 4. And a majority of these birds in pulpits today, you say, you're awful brash. I know, I've been accused of that before. But a majority of these birds in pulpits today can't teach the Bible. And let me say this, nor do they have the material to do so. A pastor should be able to teach. And I've heard people say, well, the way you preach don't work for me, and how you teach, you're not a good... Help yourself. I've seen the Lord bless it. But that doesn't mean I'm the only guy that's doing it. All right, but you got to have the material, and most of these guys do it, because why? They won't go back to school. They won't sit down and learn. Generally, when a preacher gets in a pulpit, I've seen it several times, they have now arrived. It's like hiring from within. If you always hire from within, you're running on thin ice. Why? Because that guy that you hire from within, not always, but many times, if you only hire from within, when he gets the big position, then he's arrived, he no longer has anything to prove. But a preacher, he's a pastor, he should be able to teach. And just because a guy is a pastor doesn't mean he's qualified to teach. Why? You've got to sit down in the desk and you've got to learn and you've got to go line upon line, here a little and there a little. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean nothing. I've got to keep learning. You better hope I never stop learning. <clears throat> and most of these guys are unqualified. So a pastor is also called a teacher. Now, what's a teacher's job? Let's talk about that for a second. A teacher's job is just to ground people. To ground people, to root them, to establish and build up converts in the faith. In the faith, not current events. Not going to talk about the mushroom cloud in East Palestine. Terrible thing, but it's not my job to tell you that. You've got Fox, you've got ABC, you've got CNN, you've got all those outlets, and guess what? I'm not going there. Just I wouldn't do any bird hunting for a while over there. Right? Not my job. Usually around election time, I'll get a few letters how these uh, local politicians will want to speak to you from this pulpit. You know what I tell them? Forget it. One guy returned uh, my letter. He says, I, I can't believe that you're a preacher of the gospel and, and you wouldn't stand for life, liberty. And I'm like, I just, what did you? I threw it in the trash. 
Go to the town hall meeting. I'm not against it, but you're not going to use the pulpit to peddle that garbage. Why? This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. I'm kind of tired of this one, aren't you? That rhymed. Wow, I write my own verse. <laughs> now, a teacher's job is to root them, it's to ground them, and to build up converts in the faith, and that's what a, that's what a real teacher should do. He's to ground you in your faith. He's to help root you down, help you get your roots down in your Bible, in your Bible, uh, to establish you and build you up. Teaching the Bible, teaching the Bible, teaching the Bible, showing you where Calvinism's wrong and show them where they try to run you in the ditch, showing you where Catholicism is wrong in the context of what... Listen, we're not doing a study on Catholicism, are we? We're studying the book of 1 Timothy, but where that stuff comes up, you need to know it. Where it says, for there's one God and one mediator, you need to know that that's a pinch point with Catholicism. So if you have Catholic friends, they're not going to believe it because it's not in their Bible. And they're going to tell you that, well, you know, we don't worship Mary. We don't really venerate Mary, but she does help us get our prayers answered. To which you can say, no, she doesn't. It's the man, Christ Jesus. That stuff is designed to build you up. Now look, I understand it gets a little snarky, doesn't it? But if you're going to have a rooster in your barnyard, make sure it's a banny one. I believe a rooster ought to be a little bit cocky, amen? Amen. All right. <clears throat> a lot of people have a misconception about a pastor. And, of course, we're, we're hinging off that thing about teaching. You don't find anyone in the Bible, you don't find any pastor in the Bible going having coffee and donuts with the old ladies, do you? You don't. You don't have them get together and, you know, a senior banquets and, you know, pie night and coffee night and ice cream night. I'm not against that. I love ice cream. Once upon a time, I displayed it well. But you know who's doing that kind of stuff? Look at Acts 6. I'll show you who's doing that stuff. I'm going to show you who's eating and drinking coffee. I'm saying a pastor's job is to teach. Now, I'm not telling you I've got the balance on the preach and teach, but I sure hope, I sure hope after eight years I'm getting better at it. Acts chapter 6. And now look at 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples were multipli- was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve uh, called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Those are the pastors. Those are the preachers. Those are the elders. And they're saying, Hey, I can't go and have a donut with Sister Ethel here. Look at three. Wherefore, brethren, look ye among you seven men of honest report. Of course, that's the passage from which you get the concept that they had deacons. Right? Full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom whom we may appoint over this uh, business. Now look at four. Here's the job of a pastor. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, look, I get a pastor wearing a number of hats, and sometimes he just needs to be a great listener. But the job of a pastor is right there. I get my jobs to feed the flock, but my duty is prayer in that book. 
So if I don't give myself to prayer and I don't give myself to that book, you suffer because of because what comes out of this pulpit makes its way into the pew. <clears throat> so the pastor, he's supposed to be giving himself to prayer and to reading the Word of God, uh, and that's what the pastor is supposed to be doing. pastor's not supposed to be up here giving you a dress code. He's not supposed to be up here telling you what kind of music you should be listening to. He should be preaching the Word of God where it's in the context, where it's at, and let the Holy Spirit deal with you on it. And that's what a pastor is supposed to be doing. And so... Uh, and that pastor, he's supposed to be a teacher so he can root you and ground you in the book. All right? And uh, unfortunately, there's a real misconception. People get this idea that this pastor is supposed to be some kind of a politician, you know? Like he's supposed to be a PR guy. And, oh, hey, you know, it's the Kevin Allen Show with Pastor Jeremy today, you know? How are you, Pastor Jeremy? How are you today? Oh, this is fantastic, man. If it got any better, I wouldn't know what I... <laughs> it's, that's not it. You ever, you ever read about these old prophets in the Old Testament? They weren't very nice. They stood against kings. They stood against wickedness. And now a pastor day, he's, eating, he's drinking coffee, eating cake and pie and ice cream and hobnobbing with the rich and sucking the money off. You see what I mean? That's not a pastor. That's a politician. <laughs> Amen, sister. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, look at verse 7 again, 1 Timothy 2, 7. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Now here we go, let's get after verse 8. <clears throat> Bible says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now you notice we've been after this thing since verse 1, and Paul's not going to get off that thing about prayer, is he? And this praying, it goes all the way back to verse 1 and 2. It all goes all the way back to supplication. goes all the way back to prayers, intercession, thankfulness, praying for kings. Amen. Praying for all that are in authority, whether you like them or not, whether you voted for them or not. Praying that you can live a quiet and peaceable life and honestly in all godliness in this world. But you notice here that a saint of God, he can pray anywhere. He can pray anywhere, and you read it right there. First Timothy 2.8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. So you ain't got to be in no church to pray, you know. And, uh, you know, when you pray, you don't have to be in no church, and it doesn't have to be poetic. It doesn't have to be, oh, Father, you know. Just some of the best prayers I've ever heard were just in just childlike, you know, sincerity, amen. <clears throat> I told you just before, one of my friends, uh, he's went on to glory, uh, Brother Chris, and I remember one of the first times I heard him pray, and finally I had him take up the offering, and he kind of come down there, and he was a tall, lanky old feller, and he said, hey, would you, uh, you know, do a, would you pray? And and he goes, sure, preacher, and he just kind of, just does this, and he goes, hello, Lord, and I'm thinking, that's not how we pray. Well, let me tell you what, he was talking to him. And he was right there. And he just had a conversation with somebody that he cared about. Say, what would you learn that day? I learned that I didn't know how to pray. you got to be in no church to pray. Some people think you got to be in a certain place to pray. You can pray anywhere. <clears throat> and uh, you ain't got to be in no inner sanctum with some grand poobah in there to pray, you know. 
Uh, now notice this. I'll give you some places that people pray in the Bible. Acts 16, 25, uh, you got some saints that were in jail. Let me tell you what, if you ever have to go to jail, you better hope you can pray, amen? I remember I was about 16 years old. My parents were gone away. Uh, they were vacationing in, uh, oh, I don't know, a million, what's it, my dad's nephew, is it? Nephew, you know, he's a millionaire, and they go, you know, play in the sun, sunny beaches or whatever over there, over, over by Los Angeles or wherever it is there. And, you know, you leave a 16-year-old alone, he's going to get in trouble, ain't he? Amen, brother. He's like, yeah. remember what you were doing at 16? <clears throat> so I'm downtown West Branch and, you know, goofing around and uh, how he was there. And uh, we were throwing fire, lighting firecrackers and throwing them into crowds of people, you know, <laughs> stupid stuff that 16-year-olds do when your parents are not there, right? I tell you what I was raised by, though. He come up to me and says, I know your old man. He says, you do that one more time. I'm calling him and I'm taking you to jail. <laughs> Say, what'd you do? I about face and got the you know, hockey sticks out of there. But anyways, <clears throat> but I'm telling you, if you ever get thrown in jail, you better hope you can pray. Acts 16, 25, Bible says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Uh, not only uh, in jail, but <clears throat> we've been preaching through Jonah. And Jonah, he prays uh, when he's in the whale's belly, <laughs> doesn't he? That's Jonah 2.1. The uh, Bible says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly. And uh, Jonah got his prayer answered too, didn't he? <laughs> um, Jonah, he prays in the whale's belly. One chapter prior, Jonah chapter 1, verse 14, he's praying on the ship. I'll tell you, if you were in a bad storm, that thing about ready to go down, you'd be praying too, amen? He's praying in the ship. He's praying in the whale's belly. And then Jonah chapter 4, uh, he's praying uh, in the beach. He's praying in the city of Nineveh. Not a very good prayer, but nonetheless, he's praying. We'll, we'll preach on that one this morning. <laughs> now, there's some uh, people in Acts 21 and verse 5. You know what they're doing? They're praying on the shore. It's a beach prayer meeting. We could do that here. Amen? And that might be a good thing, but if we do it in the summer, we better go at nighttime because it will be too much distraction during the day. Amen? <laughs> there, yeah, amen. <laughs> Acts 21.5, the Bible says, When we had accomplished those uh, days, we departed, went on our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that would be the best thing on a hot summer day. You go better go in the evening with everyone hopping around on the fruit of the loom, you know. <clears throat> but you got Matthew 14, 23. You know what's going on? Someone's up in there on the mountaintop praying. Matthew 14, 23. And uh, the Bible says in Matthew 14, 23, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. When the evening was come, he was there alone. I'll tell you what, on. Not trying to be funny, but man, we got to get back to this type of prayer. He said, We ain't got no mountains in uh, Tawas. Well, then find you a hill or something. We got to get back to that type of praying. Uh, I hate to say it, but I remember when. Don't you hate it when conversations start like that? I remember back about 2001, 2000. Uh, I used to go back behind my house and pray. I said, I'm going to build me an altar. So I'd stop and I'd find every big stone on the side of the road I could. 
So how many did you get? I don't know. I think I stopped about 30 or so. <laughs> Why? It's too much work. I'd go out there and pray and get eaten up by mosquitoes. You know, Go out there and act spiritual. Pray so loud, scare yourself half to death. Hear your own voice echoing through the trees. Praying loud enough, hopefully your neighbors hear you, right? I want them to get saved. We better get back to that type of praying. And if we had any mountains around this flat piece of ground here, the mountain ought to find some of us Bible believers on it reaching out to God. But mountain or not, we ought to be praying to God and trying to get a hold of Him. It's 2023. We're nearer to going home than we've ever been before. You got over there in Nehemiah 2.4, you know all about it, where Nehemiah prayed that conversation with the king. You call it the Nehemiah prayer. You ever been in that place? I mean, it's all happening right now, and you, you've got to pray, man. Like that. <laughs> and Nehemiah wasn't supposed to have a sad countenance, and uh, he had to throw up one of them real quick prayers. And you see, men can pray anywhere, uh, anywhere and everywhere. You got there over there in Genesis chapter 24, was it verses 11 to 14, Eliezer? He's on a search for a bride, and uh, he sits down on a well. And uh, you know what he's doing? He's praying for God's direction. And uh, you ought to pray for God's direction. You got over there in Genesis chapter 19, verses 18 to 20, uh, Lot's, Lot prays, and that backslidden rascal's running for his life. <laughs> I mean, you haven't seen uh, the LGBTQ run so fast ever since Sodom and Gomorrah, amen? But they are running as fast as possible, and Lot's praying. And you know what he says? He says, Lot said unto them, O not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life, and I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold, now this city is near to flee unto, that's Genesis 19, 20, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Lot's running for his life, and he's praying. You know why I didn't want to go to the mountain? Because he thought he'd run into some more of those queers. And then here's a good one, Luke 23, 42. There's a man, and he's praying on the cross. And he was dying, and he was stripped naked. And then he asked Jesus Christ if he could join him in his kingdom. You know what the Lord said? This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Man, it's time to get praying, isn't it? You ain't got to be no special place to pray. Matter of fact, it should be like this. If you ever get to a place where you can't pray, you better get out of that place. You always ought to be able to be on praying grounds. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. He says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. You notice Paul says lifting up holy hands. Ain't that something? That's strange. Now, if you did something wrong and the police caught you, the thing that you did so you wouldn't get shot would be what? <laughs> that's a... That's how the French wave, <laughs> right? <laughs> Some of you will get that. <laughs> or if someone in the military or war surrenders, uh, they lift up their hands and they surrender, right? <clears throat> so that's how you and I are to pray. We're to pray surrendered, lifting up holy hands. You know, you see some people and the Lord, you know, obviously getting on or whatever, and they'll go like that. You know? I figure that's, that's a, a volunteering. That's total surrender. <laughs> right? Pick me. <laughs> I'm a surrender. But we're to pray surrendered, lifting up holy hands. When we surrender ourselves to God, 
Then we begin to pray. But you got to surrender first. Do you surrender in your prayer life? Do you surrender before you pray? I suppose, uh, go to 1 Kings here, I'll show you this. I suppose that's why we don't get many of our prayers answered. It's because we just refuse to surrender ourselves. It's like we go to God thinking that just because we are who we think we are, that He's going to answer our prayers. <clears throat> but that ain't how it works. Now look at 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 22. 1 Kings 8, this lifting up of holy hands. This, this is a right mindset, a right attitude. This is surrender. 1 Kings 8.22, the Bible says, And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven. Some people call this posture and prayer. And so he gets there to open up this altar and open up this temple. And he gets out there and he spreads his hands like that in front of everybody and begins to pray to God. You know what God does? He answers him by fire. Now look, you can go in your backyard all day long and even bring charcoal, but the Lord's not going to answer you by fire. But you ought to surrender. Amen? Look at uh, Psalm 88. I'll show you this. That lifting up the holy hands is surrendering to God. The thing, the determining factor of your prayer life is going to be how much surrender you have in your life. It's not whether or not the Lord's in a good mood. It's not whether or not that He wants to do something nice for you today. It's about you being surrendered. Psalm 88, 9, look what the psalmist says. Mine eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon thee. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. You don't see people praying like that much anymore, do you? Well, you know, uh, Pastor Jeremy, it's, you know, we're just, we're northerners. You know, we're, we're just, we're, we're different up here in the north. We're more reserved. No. Now we're dead. We are dead. And uh, you don't see people praying, uplifted holy hands. You say, why? I, I got my, my, my reasonings. I think, I think some Christians are afraid because the charismatics have screwed it up. But listen, just because a charismaniac ain't got brains God gave a grasshopper doesn't mean you shouldn't have to lift up your hands when you pray. Amen. You don't see people praying, uplifting, holy. What? I tell you what, you wouldn't fall asleep if you lifted up your hands. I, I, a number of years back, I said, I said, Lord, why did you put that in there? And it's like this voice of reason, which wasn't me. It's like the Lord said, try it. I didn't fall asleep. My shoulders hurt. I said, what'd you do? I lifted up my hands. So did you, do you still lift up your hands? No, mind your own business. Do you lift up your hands? But I didn't fall asleep, but I was lifting up my hands. Well, that's weird. I, okay, I, yeah, sure is. It's because you don't do it. But uh, the charismatics make it phone, a, a phony, but you don't see much of it anymore. And, and Christians just surrender to God. That's all it is. All right, we know that the, the, the repentant thief, he prayed uh, with his hands up, didn't he? He prayed with his hands up, lifting up holy hands. I'll show you this last thing and we'll uh, get out of here. Uh, Exodus 17. Exodus 17. This thing about prayer, we're not done with it. Now, you want to grow in your Christian life? You start praying. And you start getting serious in prayer. The Lord will grow you. 
Lord will grow you. He'll, he'll start getting real to you like he ain't never been real in your entire life. And you'll start getting appreciation for who the Lord is. <clears throat> Bible says, uh, oh, well, over there in Exodus 17, 11, and 12, Israel, as you know, is fighting the Amalekites. And the Lord told Moses, as long as you keep the rod up in the air, right, like this, you'll win. Look at 11 and 12. I read it. Bible says, and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand. There it is. That Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. They didn't need to go on a diet. He just tired of holding them up. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the other side and the other on the other side. His hands were steady to the going down of the sun. All right. But, uh, and so when your hands are up, Moses, you win. And when they come down, you lose. And you know who the Amalekites are, right? Amalek is the greatest type of flesh in the King James Bible. So when you're praying and surrendering yourself to God, you win. But when you let your hands down, you lose. You see it? All right, we'll stop right there, pick it up later. Lift up holy hands. <clears throat> 